Nuclear. Now is it crick or creek? Coyote or coyote? Sometimes I say library. Welcome to You're Saying It Wrong. I'm Fletcher Powell, and each episode we turn to the people who literally wrote the book on this, sister and brother team Kathy and Ross Petrus, and we'll dive into what we get wrong and sometimes what we get right when we try to speak this weird English language. You know, on this podcast, we talk about French fairly often. French has such a major influence uh, on our language, on the English language. But we've never really just focused on French. And in particular, they have really interesting phrases that they use. I guess like anybody, they have idioms and phrases uh, that are used. But but a lot of them have, have come into English, and we don't always know exactly what they mean. And so we thought it might be kind of fun to look at some of these phrases, some of these idioms, and just see what they actually mean and, wh- and whether we ought to even be using them at all. I do know a little bit of French. Uh, I know enough to get by in Montreal, at least to read the signs, many of which are written only in French. I don't know enough to have a conversation with anybody older than about two years old. The poor woman (laughs) at the bakery uh, tried very hard just to ask me if I wanted a box for my croissant, and and I just stared at her, and I felt so bad once, once the other woman came over and spoke to me in English. So, speaking bad, reading, sorta okay. But as far as all that goes, let's do this. Uh, la partie commence. Oh, oh la la. <laughs> there, that, that ends my French. <laughs> the first phrase, I'll, I'll just say it. It's je ne sais quoi. And it means, like, I, I mean, I, I can't quite put my finger on it. Um, it it's, it's something. Wow. <laughs> Very right. well done. Oh, it is Hooray. something. Yeah. So, so je ne sais quoi. Um, I don't know what essentially is is what that means in, in I guess a literal sense. Uh, and, and it's something that you say. It has a that painting has something I can't quite put my finger on. It, it has a certain je ne sais quoi, right? Yes. Intangible exactly. but distinct, I think. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Intangible. That's the word I was looking for. Well, I would say indescribable or inexpressible myself. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and the question, I think the question arises now should we use this phrase? A lot of people say no, it's just too kind of snooty and snobby. But I do think there's something valuable in this phrase. I mean, you could just say, like, like as Kathy just said, or I just said, ineffable, in, indistinct, un. But I think je ne sais quoi really kind of carries it. What do you guys think? I think so, because it was interesting listening to Fletcher uh, 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 trying to explain it very quickly, you know, trying to come up with a pithy uh, definition. And I would argue that je ne sais quoi is one of those ones that really doesn't. I mean, I know we're saying it's indescribable and expressible. It is, though, exactly what it is. And I don't think that you really can get the point across in English. I don't. I don't think that there's really a corresponding pithy, nice sounding phrase. Do you guys really? I kind of agree. Yeah, I agree with both of you. I do think there's at least a difference in feeling between saying I can't quite put my finger on it and it has a certain je ne sais quoi. It also sounds a lot cooler, I've got to admit, doesn't it? I mean, it really does. Absolutely. I was just looking at dictionary definitions and all of them don't really, a pleasant quality that is hard to describe. I mean, that doesn't work for me. I'd rather say a je ne sais quoi. He has a certain je ne sais quoi about them about him rather than he has a certain pleasant quality that's hard to describe about him. It's 
Jean Saint-Croix sort of gives it right there really quickly. So I think it's very useful. I just do have to read, though, I loved the Urban Dictionary, which I always love looking at, especially when it's French stuff, because a lot of people get irritated by French phrases and words. And my favorite definition on that was, this is spoken by snooty types to sound more sophisticated than they are, used humorously by people who do know what it means, and spoken by French when they just say, I don't know what in French. (laughs) That really summed it up nicely. (laughs) I do think that enough people do know what this is that maybe it sounds a little snooty, but I think people understand what you're saying. They're not, they don't generally look at you like, what the heck are you talking about? I mean, I hear it on sitcoms even. Mm -hmm. Definitely. One thing that fascinated me was I didn't realize this, but it first appeared in published English back in the 1600s. And I would have thought that that was like, it was more of a modern uh, import into our language for some reason. Wouldn't you have? That's interesting. It also shows that perhaps that it really is quite valuable in English in that it's persisted for so long, which I think is really interesting yeah. in that, you know? I mean, it does have some real use to it. I love it. The the one I found, I believe it was in Oxford, um, it appeared in something called the Glossographia, Glossographia uh, by Thomas Blount, and the sentence that they used was je ne sais quoi, four French words, contracted as if it were into one, and signifies I know not what. We used to say they are troubled with a je ne sais quoi that feign themselves sick out of niceness. I have no idea what this means now, but know not where their own grief lies or what ails them. But it's spelled J-E-N-E-C-S-C-A-Y and then qua, Q-U-O-I. So it's sort of close. All right, so uh, I think we're all thumbs up on je ne sais quoi. Thumbs up, yes. Moving on to the next one, this... uh, I'm I'm just going to spoil it right up front. I really like this one. The phrase is bête noire. It literally means black beast. And uh, bête noire is something that I guess has sort of bothered you your whole life. Maybe it's like the bane of your existence. It's not exactly like your nemesis, but it's it's like I, is I'm trying to think of a good example. Would would like Bill Buckner's error in the 1986 World Series be <laughs> his bet noir? That would be a bet noir for him. Yes. <laughs> for those of us who are Yankees fans, it was a very good moment. Yes. <laughs> What's the opposite? It, it's something especially disliked. Something really really that gets that gets on to you hate it so or to be avoided. way way more than like a pet peeve it's like it's like the ultimate pet peeve exactly exactly okay. and i think it's a i i really like bet noir i think it really has a, a very valuable role in english because it doesn't it's not just something you dislike it has like more of a, a verve to it so now i'm just thinking now so now in moby dick would you would you say moby was Ahab's bet noir or is it nemesis there? Is is a bet noir like to you guys a notch below? Well, Moby was his white whale. Right. <laughs> Which is also a phrase we use. <laughs> oh, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Clever there. <laughs> I don't think actually I don't think it's either in that case. Because it's an obsession for him. Yeah. I think more the nemesis is fate taking a turn against you. Yeah, right. And a bet noir is a is is something you really hate, but it's not like obsession obsessively like you wouldn't obsessively hate your bet noir do you say bet noir or bet noir or bet noir yeah. bet noir sounds a little too too oh speaking of which you guys know what that circumflex means in this case or not what do you mean the little circumflex over the e there's like a little uh, tri- uh, in french there's like an upside down triangle i mean a triangle it's like an eyebrow right right what i'm not sure what you're asking what do we know what it means do you know why it's there just curiously 
a little bit of French knowledge here can come in handy. <laughs> It, it, let's see, it, it it replaces the the S that would come after it, That's right? That's exactly it, Fletcher. You're just booming on today. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, because I thought of the word uh, for hospital, which is hôpital, and, right. and that also has a circumflex over the O. Exactly, and fet, F-E-T-E, with the circumflex over the E should be fest. In old French, it would have had the S there, too. I did want to point out one thing. When we wrote um, Awkward Moments, and this does appear in that, one of the things um, we found was that People have worried that Bette Warren might be racist because of the black, black beast. And um, it was, what, what you found this, Ross, it was uh, someone from The Guardian, I think, had said no one would dream of writing it because you wouldn't say black beast. But it, 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 the, we go back to one of those things where historically, etymologically, it has nothing to do with, with anything that would smack of racism. They think that probably it came from wolves in medieval France. Black, the black beast would have been the wolves that were, you know, marauding in the woods. So it has nothing to do with humans, and there is no, there is nothing offensive initially, and it hasn't been taken that way. Although some people trying, I think, a little too hard to be politically correct, are are ascribing a negativity to it that doesn't belong there. Yes, exactly. Next one up, Song Fua which is literally cold blood. And that, that kind of describes what it means. It's, um, say, someone who uh, is very, very cool and calm and collected, maybe, maybe overly so. Maybe overly so, but the key, I think, here is that cool, calm, and collected. And it's interesting because the French word sang-froid and, and in English sang-froid, um, it's cold-blooded literally, but in English, we don't use it like you don't have a sang-froid psycho killer. We would say a cold-blooded psycho killer. Right. Yeah, you're right. There's, it's not pejorative. It's ever. not pejorative. Necessi- well, it could be a little bit, maybe a little excessively calm and cool. You know, sometimes you need to get a little panicky maybe. But it doesn't have that like evil, cold-blooded, not caring about other people at all. And I think that's why this word is, it's really become very much of an English word. And I think it's a very useful English word because it does distinguish between a cold-blooded killer and a, a, and a leader or general who has a great sang-froid attitude or whatever. I just want to say both of you pronounced it correctly. And this is one of those French words that I never pronounced correctly. I would say, much to my embarrassment, sang-froid. I really would. Are you serious? Got, I mean, I, and I wonder how many other people are brave enough to admit that they would say it my way as well. Because as a non-French speaker, I see O-I-D and I don't think foi. I think oid, you know? I, I just, I really wonder how many people pronounce it wrongly like I do. And I said that with great saying foi. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd be really curious. We did one, we did a quick search when we were writing the book on saying foi and, and usage. And we found it's very, very much in use in Hollywood. Lots of actors are described as having sang froid. But now I'm curious when the when the Hollywood reporter are they saying sang Freud or sang froid? I think yes, they are. Sang- <laughs> <laughs> I bet they are. I think they're saying sang froid. What about you, Fletcher? Did you ever mispronounce this or not? No, I no, I don't think so. But I honestly I don't remember I don't remember this word that much before certainly before I took French. I mean, I see it every now and then, but that's part of why I'm kind of torn on whether this is something we ought to use. I really like it. I like the word and I like what it 
what it describes, but I don't really hear anybody ever using it. I don't think if I used it just in some daily conversation that it would necessarily get across to the person I was talking to, although I speak to a lot of pretty intelligent people most of the day, but, uh, you know, I don't want to underestimate anybody's intelligence. I just don't know how much it's recognized or used anymore. We have we have a phrase like he has ice water in his veins, right? We have mm. something similar in English words. Uh, so even if this is a this is has become an English phrase, I just don't know how much if it's used enough for it to be useful. I would say this for me, I would say this is one that I think you can write, but you wouldn't say. I know that sounds stupid. Perhaps I'm saying it because I'm not pronouncing it correctly. But I, for some reason, I hear you guys saying sang froid. And if I was talking with one of you in a regular conversation, you said blah, 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 has such sang froid. I would kind of think you were a bit assholic to be blunt. Oh, sorry. I shouldn't say that, should I? But I would think you were being a little, um, I don't know, snide, snotty. It sounds a little too too to me. Whereas if I read it, it seems okay. Although, uh, it's, seems I mean, maybe your, for your me. point is, I'm not sure I would say it in in, in public. I, we looked, I mean, it, it's among the top 30% of all words used in English, apparently, according to Merriam-Webster. Hmm. Okay. It has frequently appeared in writing, like I said, in Hollywood Reporter or Hollywood magazines, as well as the Times or the Post. But Kathy does raise an interesting point. Would I use it in public? I don't, I mean, in you know, would I use it in conversation? Well, I'm not sure. I know, I think I might. <laughs> Having a couple of beers with my friend, you know, he had a talking politics. He had great sang froid. I don't know. Maybe I would. I don't think you would. I'm I'm totally on board with using it in writing, and I could even see myself using it in writing. I I'm thinking about say doing one of my movie reviews, and if I'm trying to uh, equate somebody with uh, Alain Delon in his gangster movies, and mm. and the way you know he he's completely stone faced the whole time and completely calm all the time, no matter what's going on. I could absolutely see myself using that word in writing. And it's perfect. And it, it, it is. Per- I think in that case also, I think it conveys more than just ice in his veins. It just does somehow. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Okay, uh, writing good, speaking, eh, maybe think about it. (laughs) Next up, I know these two words, and I have heard this phrase, but I have to be honest and admit that I don't actually know what the phrase means. It's mojust, meaning, I guess, like a just word or a fair word, but I I don't know when you use this phrase. I, I just... I just don't know. Okay, not quite, Fletcher, on this one. Juste in French can mean, you know, as you said, but in this case, it also can mean the right or the correct word. The correct. Oh, fair enough. All right. Okay, and in this sense, mot juste means the exactly right word or phrasing. If you pick the mot juste, if you're having troubles, right, you know, like writing a poem and you finally hit on that right word, that's the mot juste. Or you're trying to describe someone as... You're trying to think, what is what was Alain Delon like? And you go, hmm, sanguine. That's the mot juste. No, sang froid. <laughs> <laughs> the, this one came from, as Ross is saying, um, it, 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 you're thinking of the right word. And it came to us from a writer from um, Flaubert in the 19th century. And he apparently would just, was had a fetish, a bet noir, one might say. <laughs> he would agonize over the exact word that was, that would convey exactly, precisely what he was, when he was writing, uh, what he wanted to say. And, and that's how we got Limoju. Is it Mojuste or Loju now? I, I, now I'm going to over-Frenchify myself. I would say Mojuste. Yeah, Mojuste, because the E tells you that you're going to pronounce the T. 
So it's Mojus. Thank you. But yeah, so he would um, sit there in the 1800s uh, agonizing over the right word, the Mojus. <laughs> I'm catching myself. And then it borrowed completely. Uh, it, it appeared in English shortly thereafter, and, and it's been here ever since. I don't think it's a particularly useful phrase, though. I don't see why you can't say it's exact. It's the precise word I was looking for. That's the exactly right word. I don't, do we really need this? I think. I think to paraphrase Kathy, to paraphrase Kathy earlier. I think this using this to some degree makes you sort of snotty. And we have Fletcher here who knows a lot of French, who knows certainly is very erudite in English. He wasn't aware of this of the exact meaning of the of the exact meaning of the phrase. So I don't think it's particularly mm -hmm. useful at all. I don't think I've ever used it, and I think if I see it written, I think it sort of looks pretentious and snobby. Mm -hmm. I will say that it feels like a much bigger victory to have come up with le mot juste than it does to come up with the right word. <laughs> You're absolutely right. That's beautiful. I, I think that's really interesting. Which gives it some justification in that sense. Yeah, because it's got more like pow. Le mot juste. <laughs> This, you're absolutely right. That's it. I, I I do feel like interestingly enough though, you're also saying Fletcher limo juiced, and a lot of more often than not, you see it now dropped. Um, it's it'll just be like the mo juiced or a mo juiced, but you still see some people using le, um, which I think seems even more snobby. <laughs> oh no yeah, offense. no doubt. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's just like really, you know, really <laughs> you have to say that. But this is the, the Times has an article here where they use it. The interpreter paused, comma, choosing limo juste before speaking. Now, here we go again. I mean, I guess the person there is making a little joke because it's the interpreter there. So I mm. guess it's okay. But mm -hmm. I still have a real problem. I think Fletcher is right. And I'll agree with our panel consensus that if you're really trying to get a real Zamo great word, it's good to use. But I would not use it in a normal conversation. Yeah, I, I don't I wouldn't either. And I probably wouldn't really write it. I don't I don't uh, you. That's a good point about making a little joke there. But otherwise, that kind of rubs me a little bit wrong, even even hearing you read that sentence. I just have to share another urban dictionary that I, <laughs> that I just adore. And they're arguing what we're arguing that you don't really need it. And this is Flaubert spent his life agonizing over Le Mot Juste. Now Modem, Madame Bovary is available in 20 different crappy English translations, so it doesn't really make a damn bit of difference anymore. And I thought, that's it. <laughs> I bow. Well, the next word I have never seen, I've never heard, I have no idea what this means. L-O-U-C-H-E, I assume is louche, but I, I just don't know what this is at all. That's interesting because that's one of those words that you're finding more um, common lately. I mean, it's still not super common, but it's because it's 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 definitely increasing in usage. And I think it's because it sounds um, sort of cool. What it is, I, I'm going to use one example we had in the book, which is from the New York Times, and it said the it's about the New York, uh, New York Times crossword puzzle, and it says the entry smack down the middle at 70 is what I would call louche because I love that word and because it works for this 21st century version of a cheap date, Netflix and chill. So they're saying louche is a cheap, is a version of a cheap date. That's not right. <laughs> I'll start with that. Louche really means something um, kind of seedy, sort of not quite reputable, a, a little shady. It sort of means sketchy. I think sketchy is the best definition of it, except the sketchy is where it's a little better sketchy. It's like yeah. it's sketchy with sort of a touch of like uh, insouciance or a, a wink. 
charm, actually. Because you see Lucia has been applied to things like a lot of um, Johnny Depp as Jack Sparrow was called Lucia in a, a ton of different um, reviews, depending on which film you looked at. I mean, it's, yeah, it's sketchy, but with charmingly so, like sort of intriguingly, darkly seedy, but charmingly. Does that make sense? No, and it also is interesting how it comes. It comes from the French word louche, which we, directly from that, which means squinting, which I think is sort of interesting. It came from the Latin luscus, which meant lusca, the feminine, which means blind in one eye or one-eyed. So I, you get that, I don't know, it kind of switched over from blind in one eye to squinting to like a our English meaning right now. Well, yeah, because it, it sort of meant something slanted, something not quite right, something askew, if you will, metaphorically, it ended up being. So then it became something sordid or dishonest, something dissolute, but in an appealing way, but which is recent. Louche did not mean appealing until recently, and now, for whatever reason, it's being used up the waz, if you will. It's all over the place. Can I throw in a little boring etymology, though, that I got curious about? What word do you think louche is related to? In English. We have a lot of words it's related to. Do you guys have any idea? Luscious? No. Luminous? It's for the light. Lumen, luminous. Because it's light. But it, it comes came from Luska, which was squinting, I thought. No, but that, that that goes backwards from the Latin. Luska, which I really thought was interesting. I just looked it up right now. Comes from the Proto-Indo-European look, which is to see. Or to or uh. light, which became, you know, to see light. It's a visible light. And then the ska part, which apparently means kind of not good. So not good light seeing, which is how it came into ah. English. Which I thought was sort of cool. Well, my other knowledge of louche is is cool in a different way. Oh, yes. It's like um, ouzo or raki or absinthe. When you add water to them, like Pernod, they um, turn cloudy. And that's called the louche. Because it's turned shady. Isn't that cool? It is. It's cool. It forms a spontaneous emulsion. Exactly. Yeah. I don't like Uzo. All I know is that Uzo's dangerous. That's all I know. know. (laughs) Cloudy or otherwise. Don't ever talk to me about Uzo. Uh, Never. (laughs) Well, it's like a kick in. You don't realize with Uzo, you have like a drink or two and you think you're fine. And then suddenly, man. Yeah, this is great. Bangs you (laughs) on the back of the head and you never forget it. (laughs) The little man with the hammer on your (laughs) head. Yeah. (laughs) I learned my lesson a long time ago with that. This is tasty and sweet, you know, and then bang. So until recently, Louche didn't have uh, that slightly positive uh, feeling behind it? No. Correct. It that's, that's a fairly modern, a lot of the modern dictionaries, in fact, I, I should check them all. I know um, don't have the, the positive side emphasized at all, if, if it's even mentioned. But that is becoming more and more the prevalent um, current usage. It's it's the it's the it's the it's more roguish now than 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 seedy. I would argue. Maybe rakish. Yeah. Rakish is a perfect term. Perfect. That's it. Perfect. I'm thinking about Michael Caine, maybe uh, you know, stealing some diamonds but doing it with a wink. Yes. Yeah, you could argue that he's a louche character. Exactly. Okay. That, that helps me. I guess relating literally everything to movies helps, <laughs> helps me grab onto what we're talking about. <laughs> but the funny thing is it helped me too, you know, because I immediately pictured Michael Caine roguishly winking <laughs> you know, while pocketing the gems. Right. You know? 
Uh, well, our final word, uh, hopefully no one is even approaching this at this point in the podcast. It's a word we've talked about once or twice uh, before, and it's ennui, E-N-N-U-I. And I expressed that I had, I think you might have even corrected me, I had sort of made the mistake of thinking this was a much uh, deeper existential feeling uh, than it actually is. But ennui kind of just describes a feeling of boredom, right? Yes, but th- there's a... there's a pause there (laughs) well there's like a sort of a sousant of of like a feeling of like sort of dissatisfaction that that sort of permeates your entire body i think don't you think i mean it's like the exact the opposite of joie de vivre it's not post-millennial despair how would you put it Catherine? I would say there's a weariness to it. Um, when I think ennui, I do think of, I mean, if we're going to talk film, I'm not going to talk film right now, but I'm going to talk French. I mean, obviously, but I'm going to talk like that image you get of someone sitting in a cafe with a black thing, sort of, you know, Sartre-esque, smoking a cigarette, drinking like, you know, some Pernod, <laughs> and, and, and just sort of like world, not exactly world weary, just sort of like tired, yawningly bored. Lethargic loafing. Lethargic, yeah, bored, yeah, sort of like, uh, Yes, All right. exactly. So, so really, it's it's somewhere between what I originally thought, which was like a, a deep boredom in your bones, and and just the idea of regular old boredom. It's somewhere in between there. Yeah, because there's an element of dissatisfaction in ennui. It's not just being bored. Right, and which is, honestly, the reason I even said that was because of me probably misremembering an earlier conversation the three of us had about ennui. Um, I did feel like it, it was a little, there was more intense than that, but, but my initial thought before we ever talked about it was that it was a very deep feeling of, of boredom and dissatisfaction, and maybe it's not quite so deep. The German word angst, I think, would be deeper would be more right. a, a deeper sort of feeling, I think. And then, of course, I mean, you've got Weltschmerz. I mean, if we're going to go back to the German. I mean, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I would say, yeah, I would say on we, you're, you're bored and you're not, you're, 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 you're listless. You're sort of not doing anything. I mean, whereas I think with angst or, or Weltschmerz, you might do stuff like, like, you know, beat your brow, bat breast, excuse me, beat your brow seems a little painful. But, um, yeah, I think on way there's the listlessness more to me. There's that weary yawning dissatisfaction as opposed to actively being dissatisfied. But I think the key point is we're all pretty much in agreement that you're not very happy if you have ennui. Yeah. What about using it now? Do you think enough people understand what that means? Even, I mean, obviously, even I had a little bit of trouble with the nuance there. I think it's it's definitely being used a lot. Um, yeah, no doubt about that. I, I think it I think it belongs. I just think that we've got to be clear. I mean, we found when we we're doing the book. I mean. Ennui was attached to so many. I mean, teen ennui, modern ennui, postmodern ennui, ennui in the theater, ennui at college, ennui at a dog grooming boutique. I mean, Washington D.C. was a hotbed of ennuiness. I mean, so it's it's being used a little bit a little bit overused, I think, in that case. <laughs> ennuiness. <laughs> well, that's my new term. Oh, okay. You you said that. All right. <laughs> it's related to annoy. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Uh, duh! I never thought of that. Of course. What actually comes from the latin which is to hate actually mihi and odio oh. est uh, it is hateful to me and then that the odio uh, odio and actually in latin came into um in odio became in on we and you know the in part on uh, we and then annoy came a different way to annoy 
So it has a sort of, and I think it's an annoying sort of feeling in that sense, which we can remember it by too. That's interesting. But going back to should we, so what do you guys think? Should we use it? I guess it's okay, but I think it's overused. And I think it's, 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 it's we had said this when we talked about um, Velschmerz and all the others. I think it's used so widely now, it's lost what it really means. That's my concern. And also, I think in general, thing. I mean, a couple of days ago, I got like a little bit stir crazy in here and I got kind of blah. And I told my wife, I feel kind of blah. I didn't say I have a sense of ennui. So I, you You disappoint me, Ross. (laughs) I said, actually, I said ennui with a touch of angst and a little bit of, (laughs) a little bit of Velschmerz as well. But with my usual sang froid, (laughs) I'll deal with it. (laughs) I don't think it's particularly useful as a word. I think we have enough, uh, enough, uh, the fact that we're, we're basically, all of us were toying with the exact definition and there really isn't an exact definition. There's a feeling about the word, but I think they're, perfectly suitable English, you know, mainstream English equivalents that are fine. That said, though, I think that it would be okay to use it in a slightly pejorative sense, like for someone that's being self-indulgent and and visualizing themselves as this, like, you know, racked with pain, you know, French nihilist or, or, or existentialist. Then I think you can use I it. I like that. That's a good way to use it. I think you're right. As a pejorative against some jerk who has like, who's like moaning about something. Yeah. Exactly. This episode of You're Saying It Wrong has been produced by me, Fletcher Powell, help from Beth Golay and Luann Stevens in the studios of KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. If you have a question for Kathy and Ross, you can tweet it at us. We're at YSIWpod or email me at Powell at KMUW.org. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or even a review at Apple Podcasts. Those reviews really do help us a lot. The book, You're Saying It Wrong, was published by 10 Speed Press. And also be sure to check out Kathy and Ross's newest book, Awkward Moments. That's words, like what we're talking about. W-O-R-D-S, Awkward Moments. And of course, Kathy and Ross have written a lot more, and they're always up to something. You can check out their other work through their website, kandrpetras.com. That's K-A-N-D-R-P-E-T-R-A-S dot com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks.